Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia. We're back to our weekly rhythm of off-season May podcasts, but there is plenty to touch on here over the last week. Miami's picked up some transfers. Miami had a pretty loaded recruiting weekend with high schoolers visiting on Saturday some of the best players in the country on campus. We'll get into both those things as well as uh, answer some mailback questions from the subscribers on InsideTheU.com, touching on various topics. So let's hop into it now, Gabby, and let's start with the new transfer commitments Miami has added here. Uh, basically over the weekend, all three of these guys joined the Hurricanes. Let's start with... Why, let's go in chronological order, I guess. Um, somewhat chronological order. Tyler Harrell, the wide receiver out of Louisville and Alabama. So he's he's a local product, Columbus High School. I believe the 2018 high school recruiting class played at Louisville for the majority of his college career. His best season at Louisville, 2021, he had 523 yards and six touchdowns while averaging an eye-popping 29.1 yards per catch. Um, the thing that stands out about Tyler Harrell is his speed. He clocked a 10.5 in the 100 meters at high school, at the high school level, high school track and field. He ran a 4.24 in the 40 at a Louisville Pro Day before he transferred to Alabama. He dealt with some injuries at Alabama. That's why he never really produced much or, or saw the field much at Alabama last season. But Gabby, take us through how this all came together. We saw Tyler at a couple spring football practices, I think back in March or April. Yeah. And uh, so he was on Miami's radar, but you know, it sounded like they needed to get comfortable with the medical side of things with his injury. Definitely. I assume things came back uh, encouraging in that regard, correct? Yeah, I, I do think that they got the medical clearance that they were kind of looking for. 
Uh, you you said it, David. I mean, he he's someone that they he'd been on their radar, right? Like he, I think Miami tried to recruit him that like when he left Louisville. Uh, you know, he ended up at Alabama, right. but Miami last tried year. to recruit him. Yeah, last year he you know he was one of the top uh, wide receivers available in the transfer portal. Came off that season where he averaged nearly thirty yards per catch, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, so yeah, he went to a spring practice, and then the morning before the morning of the night he committed, uh, he was back on campus, and you know I was told he was. He was healthy. I think Miami felt, you know, comfortable with that foot situation that kind of held him back of being a, a contributor at Alabama. And they went ahead and moved forward. I mean, they needed. I mean, what we what, what have we been talking about when we're talking when we've been discussing what Miami needs on on offense, especially at wide receiver? It's speed. Like we don't, you yeah. don't really look at someone on the outside and you say that guy is faster than whoever's going to cover him. You said four a four two four at Louisville's pro day. I mean that would like break combine records, wouldn't it? Like I wouldn't that be one of the fastest times that we've seen at the NFL combine. Uh, you know, even when he committed, had some like guys that cover the NFL draft who believe that he's going to be one of the guys that runs the fastest 40 uh, at the NFL combine when he finally gets there. Uh, so, you know, I think that again, if he's healthy, he has elite speed. And again, if you have, if you have that one trait that you can do extremely well at a high level, I think that's something that could be extremely useful in this offense uh Miami again really needed wide receiver help got uh you know again a vert a true vertical threat in Tyler Harrell I love this pickup for them just because again of what he yeah. brings it doesn't seem like this is something that Miami has in the room and again I mean Tyler Van Dyke when we, when we saw when he had that vertical threat what he did uh you know with Charleston Rambo uh during his record-breaking uh 2021 season so I'm not saying Tyler Harrell is going to be Charleston Rambo but I think it gives Tyler Van Dyke a weapon that you can, you know, feel good about, you know, saying, Hey, run faster than the guy in front of you get behind him. And let's, let's create some chunk plays, David. I know you, you dropped a stat with him when, you know, in the follow-up content of, you know, just his, what is it? His average yards after the catch or something like that. Yeah. That it was, it, that was ridiculous. And, uh, you know, I think Colby young had basically three times, like, like, like Colby young was like less than like a third or about a third of what, Tyler Harrell did in that great year and Colby Young led Miami's team last year. So I think if we can get something close to that 2021 uh, Tyler Harrell uh, with right. something close to that 2021 version of Tyler Van Dyke, you know, there could be some fireworks on offense from Miami. Yeah. Ju- going back to your, so pro football focus tracks yards after catch per reception and that 2021 season at Louisville, Tyler Harrell, I think was averaging like, 9.6 or something yards after catch per reception. So every time he caught the ball, he averaged another nine yards from that point of him catching it, which is elite stuff. I think that was top 10 in the country that year for guys that had at least 30 receptions. Um, and, and Miami, to, to put this in perspective, Miami hasn't had a guy on the outside. So an outside receiver that has averaged at least nine yards after catch per reception since Amon Richards in that 2016 season when he was breaking true freshman records, true freshman receiving records for the Hurricanes that year. So they've lacked that big-time explosive threat. Um, But, Gabby, I want to kind of just, like, set expectations of what, you know, how how should we view Tyler Harris? What what is fair to expect of him this year? Because – while I do think he is a big time pickup, he does bring an element that they've lacked, that elite speed element. And that threat alone matters. Like just having a guy on the field that the defense, that a secondary has to respect 
that can break a game open any at any point, whether it's on a crossing route, running past guys, or just straight up blowing by guys on a deep route or a deep post. Uh, that stuff does matter, keeps a defense on its heels and opens up opportunities for the rest of the receivers. But, and I don't mean this necessarily as a bad thing. Like I think, and I don't know a better way of putting it, but like a one trick pony where a guy is an elite speed guy can get downfield in a hurry, can run deep post as well as anyone. We've seen guys like to me, you know, like a Philip Dorsett, a similar type of receiver. I don't know if, you know, I'm not saying Harold's going to go on to be a first round pick like Philip Dorsett was. I don't believe that at all. I think Harold's like a bubble NFL draft pick type of guy. Um, and, and you look back to Louisville, right? That 2021 season, he really wasn't even a starter for Louisville that year. He played, I think he averaged maybe 30 offensive snaps per game. Um, so he, he he was in the rotation, but he still wasn't even a starter at Louisville. This is all a long way of saying, what do you think are fair expectations of Tyler Harrell uh, in 2023? Do you, like, can he be a number one receiver at Miami? Or do you view him as like a complimentary guy with an elite trait that can generate big time stats in spots? Yeah, I think the latter, you know, I definitely, I'm not saying that he's going to go off and catch the ball, you know, catch 60 passes, go over a thousand yards or anything. Is he like a that, wide receiver one? Cause I don't, I don't, I don't think that. so. I don't, I don't think so. Um, I, I mean, I personally don't think so, but again, I think what he does, and I love how you said that. And I feel like what he, like you have to account for him when he's on the field, right? Like you can't just like, you're not, you, you can't just like man up Tyler Harrell or anything like that. I feel like you kind of have to, you know, plan for him whenever he's there because he does have that threat where he can beat you deep and he can do all those things. So knowing he's on the field, I feel like it kind of keeps everyone maybe even a little bit further back. And I feel like that can, it can open things up for, you know, guys just kind of running under him or, or things. I, I feel like it gives Shannon Dawson so, someone yes. on the offense to move around where you're like, where everyone on the defense, defense coordinators are going to have to account for the speed there. And I think when you do that, it makes things, you know, again, like open up for everyone else. So I think Tyler Harrell, I mean, you, you called him one trick pony. I mean, I think we can be real that that might be what he is. I don't know what you're going to be asking to do a lot of like, again, outside of, you know, it's those a heck high of a trick, by the way. It like, is. It yeah, is. exactly. It's big time to have that. Like that's yeah. exactly what Miami needs. Miami needs someone who can be that threat right now. You're not looking at anyone in the roster and you're terrified of, you know, that big play downfield ability. Tyler Hero gives them that. And that's huge. Um, but again, I think he, he, what he can do is open stuff up for, for everyone else. And I think that that's just as valuable of, you know, again, because when you maybe can be intending for him, like, hey, we're going to, we can use Tyler to do this, to, to bring this guy, whatever, like, you know, that can, you lose a defense and there you go. You have a 50 yard touchdown. Like Tyler Harrell is right. always a threat to be that type of dude. And, you know, you kind of, you create a little bit of confusion on defense and there you have an explosive play, which is kind of waiting to happen. So I feel like that's what you get in Tyler Harrell. He's, he's not going to be the 10 catch 170 yard type of guy. In my opinion, he can be the Agreed. four catches for 85 or, you know, right. just a guy that you can go and hit those where, you know, you're going to see him averaging again. He averaged, you know, it was ridiculous 29 yards per catch. I'm not going to say that's going to be the expectation, but man, if you can average 19 to 20 yards per catch or anything like that, like that's a huge win to have someone like that on the roster. So I think he can be someone who can be that type of guy. And again, I think that's, that's what these guys need. And I trust Shannon Dawson to utilize that skill set. And uh, again, I think it's just a, a fun little toy to kind of play with in, in this, you know, kind of variation of the air raid. 
Yeah, Shannon Dawson does want to push the ball deep on a consistent basis. That's important to him. Also, too, I like this fit with Tyler Van Dyke. We saw in 2021 and a little bit when he was starting to build that connection with Colby Young before he got hurt, before Tyler got hurt in the second half of the season, when he trusts a receiver on the outside that can go get the ball deep, uh, Tyler will heavily target that receiver. It's, you know, it's remained to be seen whether or not Tyler Harrell is that type of guy. Uh, but that year at Louisville, that 2021 year at Louisville, they did a great job of utilizing Harrell as a deep threat. His average depth of target that season was 24.9 yards past the line of scrimmage. And uh, a lot of his success with Malik Cunningham, who was the Louisville quarterback that season, who has a strong arm, can throw it deep as well as anyone as well, uh, was on deep posts. So Harold did a lot of his damage between the numbers and in that deep quadrant of the field. Um, so I'm sure Shannon Dawson will see that on film. And as you were saying, gives gives Miami a legit speed threat on the outside. Attention business owners. I'm going to say three words you've probably heard of by now. Employee retention credit. If you're a business owner with W-2 employees and you haven't explored this program, you need to schedule a call with our friends at Foreman Law Offices, ASAP. The employee retention credit can put thousands of dollars back into the hands of business owners. However, the rules are complex and have changed many times since the inception of the program. You need to have a qualified law firm with experience in the ERC. Evaluate this for your business. You won't owe them a dime until you get paid. All you have to do is go to erclawyers.com and fill out the short questionnaire to schedule a call with their team. Two minutes may be worth thousands of dollars for your business. Get it done today. erclawyers.com. Tell them TTS sent you for Through the Smoke. Let's move on to another. Let's stay at wide receiver because on Saturday, the next day, Juco wide receiver Shamar Kirk committed to Miami officially. We've talked about him and his skill set um, in previous podcasts. I think he's generated, what, about 1,500 yards the past two seasons at the junior college level. I think his film is nice. His film's intriguing. What I like about him, he's kind of a thicker receiver at six foot, six foot one, 190. He shows the ability to break so he can make that first tackler miss, and then he can pick up some extra yards after the catch. I expect him, Gabby, to compete with Jacoby George as that kind of Z receiver. And, you know, either he wins the job or he pushes Jacoby George to keep getting better and Jacoby ends up winning the job. I view this as a acquisition where Miami's throwing numbers at their wide receiver position group and it's a cream rise to the top situation with Shamar Kirk and the rest of the group. I think that's a great way to put it. And like, I like just to kind of reiterate that, like I do think Shamar Kirk is someone that they're bringing in to, you know, compete with Jacoby George. Like I think if Shamar Kirk wins that job, that's what they brought him in here to do. They brought him in there to potentially play him. This is not someone that they're bringing in and just being like, Hey, you know, I, yeah, they are throwing numbers at it for sure. But I don't think he's someone that they're just like, Hey, we needed a receiver, you know, this guy, like, right. you know, I, I think that they brought him in because they feel like he can come in and play 
Um, you know, he, he's someone that again was extremely productive, 19 yards per catch, 15 touchdowns. You, you said he could, he's someone that can make people miss. And I think Jacoby George needed a little, needs a little bit of that push. Uh, you know, again, not saying that he's, I'm not going to say he's comfortable Everyone or whatever. Does. Right. Exactly. And, you know, Robbie Washington was the guy taking, you know, reps behind him and he's just a true freshman. So I think throwing Shamar Kirk into the mix, uh, you know, again, six foot one, 190 pounds of a physical type of wide out that I really think he could potentially take Jacoby George's job. And I think that's what they needed to add at wide receiver when we're discussing again, just what they needed to kind of do to rejuvenate this room. I think just bringing in and adding that competition level was huge. And I think Shamar Kirk, uh, he he checks a lot a lot of those boxes and talking to the kid he seems like he's you know wired the right way he's he, you know he's kind of ready to work and again I I think he's someone that he, I think he's going to contribute in 2023 as long as he's healthy and ready to go uh, I think he's someone that's going to be a, a part of the rotation you know once he kind of figures out the offense I think he's gonna he's gonna get in here in the summer gonna get into a power five strength and conditioning program all of those types of things and I think that this is a nice, I think this is a nice win for Miami on the recruiting trail. He had SEC options. Texas A&M was coming after him. Mississippi State was coming after him. So had some, you know, UCF as well. I mean, this is a guy that could have gone a lot of places and Miami won him over after that official visit weekend. So uh, I, I like this pickup a lot. And I think Kirk is definitely going to help these guys. Somewhat unfair question, but let's do it. This is supposed to be entertaining, right? If you were to pick between Kirk and Harrell, Who's going to have more receiving yards this year? Which guy would you ride with? Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a good one. Um, I would probably go with Kirk just because I think he could potentially I, – I really think he can probably win that job. Like, I think that's in the – like, I think that's a possibility. And I think if he does, I think he could be, like, a really, like, kind of, like, a possession – you know, kind of like a possession volume. guy. Like, yeah, like, I think yeah. he could be, a vo- like, a volume shooter. I think he's a guy that, you know, can get targeted, you know – like regularly, like I think he can kind of be a go-to guy for Tyler Van Dyke. You know, Colby Young is, you know, that outside, you know, big body type. I think Shamar Kirk can kind of be that volume shooter. Uh, so I think because of that, I would probably go Kirk. And again, I think he has the ability to do some more with the ball once he has it in his hands. Uh, Tyler Harrell, uh, you know, again, saying he's healthy, but I think we kind of still need to make sure. And I feel like I still have like some reservations like, okay, how healthy is he? Uh, has he lost a step? Uh, you know, how how much has that foot injury impacted him to the point where no one there, there weren't a lot of people that were like, you know, going all in after Tyler Harrell in the portal. I guess, you know, Texas A&M definitely wanted him. Uh, Cincinnati's a school I know wanted him. Uh, maybe Utah, I think, is another one that I heard that was kind of in there as well. Um, but why did it take so long? Was there really that much to kind of worry about? So I think I maybe just have more questions about Tyler Harrell. Uh, I, I I think if Tyler Harrell is fully healthy, I could see it being that way, but I'd probably roll with Shamar Kirk right now just to be kind of safe. I think Kirk is a safer bet. And I think I would probably pick Kirk. I think he'll definitely have more receptions. The thing that makes that a tough, uh, tough question is Harrell can, you know, catch 20 passes for 30 yards of catch. Potentially yeah. there's 600 yards, yep. you know? So uh, Harrell could, have more yardage on much fewer catches than Shamar sure. Kurt. Uh, okay, Anthony Campbell, an intriguing six foot seven, two hundred and ninety ish pound defensive lineman out of Louisiana Monroe. Um, very interesting player, Gabby. I'll admit, I was before I dug into him as a player, I was a little um, pessimistic on you know what he can be at a place like Miami. Um, 
but after watching him a little bit, some of his tape and um, digging into the numbers, digging into his story in general, I think there's something there. And I think this is a nice little pickup from a depth perspective with the Miami defensive line. So again, he goes six foot seven, 290. He arrives at Miami with two years of eligibility. Um, but let's let's start with his path first to football. I think it's worth highlighting how he's probably a guy that's a bit of a late bloomer or late to the sport of football in some ways. So he grew up in Kingston, Jamaica, moved to the United States at the age of 14, played football at Bartow High School in Polk County, started his uh, college career at the JUCO level, Independence Junior College in Independence, Kansas. Um, his final year at the JUCO level was the 2020 season, which was a weird year for everyone, right, with COVID going on. So I think that restricted his ability to get eyes on him um, as a JUCO player because no college coaches could go anywhere and, and scout guys. Um, so I think that's important to remember in terms of wondering why he ended up at ULM. Um, and, you know, when he got to ULM in 2021, his first season there, I think he played only about 50 snaps, so had to get his feet under him. This past year, played 208 snaps as a rotational player, uh, generated 13 tackles, three and a half sack or tackles for loss and one sack. His and generated 16 pressures, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, earned a 72, or sorry, a 74 run defense grade from Pro Football Focus. He's a guy that probably, as we continue to project him, is more of an interior defensive lineman, but he does play a little bit on the edge, kind of as, as that edge setter defensive lineman, that big-bodied defensive end. Um, and his numbers... I think are a little interesting if you compare them to Daryl Jackson at the same stage in terms of when Miami added him. So the, the year Daryl Jackson came to Miami the previous year, he was at Maryland. He played over 200 snaps as well. He had 22 tackles, zero tackles for loss and zero sacks. Uh, and he only created three pressures that year. Uh, with Maryland. He also played a little bit of defensive end as well. His PFF grades were not as good as Campbell's. Now, it is worth mentioning uh, Jackson was a true freshman at Maryland, whereas Campbell was in what, year three or four this past year at ULM. So that does matter. But I think what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is on the line of scrimmage, I think you bet on big, lengthy, athletic frames. Um, because those guys can take some time to fully develop uh, their bodies in terms of filling out and technique, uh, especially with Campbell, who's somewhat new to football. And um, so, you know, I think this time last year, I think we were excited about Daryl Jackson because of his size and his length. And he proved to be a guy, I think, after this one year at Miami, he's now, of course, at FSU. Proved to be a guy that I think has an NFL future. I think Campbell has NFL potential, maybe. He's still got two years. I think he's going to need all two of those years at Miami to keep developing. But I think you bet on his size. And I think he's a pretty athletic guy at his size. I think there's something to work with there. 
Uh, but Gabby, you got eyes on him in person. So let's start there. What, what were your impressions? Just eyeing him up in person on the body type. How big does he look? Does that number six, seven two ninety check out to you? Yeah. I mean, it's tough to push back on either one of those. I mean, he's, he's definitely a massive, massive human. I mean, six, seven's big. I mean, maybe six, six, you know, I, I mean, right. I, I, he, he's, he's a huge dude, you know, I mean, I, it's tough for me to gauge what exactly six, seven looks like. Cause I'm like five, nine. So it's like, I mean, who really knows, sure. but you know, he's a, he's a huge body. He's over six, five. I would say, uh, I would not push back on like, you know, the two eighty five two ninety range. Um, I think that they feel like they could probably even put a little bit more on him. I think the plan is for him to play defensive tackle. I think, yeah. I mean, when he, they gave him his commitment at it, it said defensive tackle. I know. I think when they brought him in, it was clear that that's what they kind of wanted him to be um, kind of checking in with people. I mean, I think they feel like it would be absolutely no problem to throw 10, 15 pounds on the kid uh, before, you know, they actually get going in, in the fall. Uh, so I think that's something that they may try to do. Uh, you obviously don't want to beef him up too much where he kind of loses some of that athleticism, but right. I think they feel like he can still add some mass and still, you know, kind of not lose a step, which is big. Uh, looks awesome. And, you know, again, just kind of checking in with people around him and close to his, you know, recruitment and stuff like that. There, there, were, there were a lot of schools coming after him. I mean, Ryan Wal uh, Waters, is it Wal Waters or Walters? Uh, he was an Illinois yep. defensive coordinator. He's the head coach at Purdue now. Really wanted him. Really, really wanted him. He's a guy that's, you know, developed and, you know, brought in a, punch, a bunch of NFL guys, uh, you know, looking at to see what he's done with that Illinois defense has been really impressive. Uh, really wanted um, – he really, they really wanted Anthony Campbell. Mississippi State really wanted Anthony Campbell. He was about to – he was going to visit Florida this uh, past weekend when he ended up visiting Miami. And, uh, you know, he ended up choosing to come to Miami instead of going to Florida and, you know, committed to Miami. I don't think Florida had, like, formally offered yet. I think it's they like wanted Darryl to evaluate Jackson. him. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I, this was, a, uh, this was, he was a, he was a highly like kind of sought after transfer at that point. Again, it is kind of like the later stages of the transfer portal. It kind of is what it is, but even kind of coming out right when he dropped his name. And I mean, you had Auburn come on offer, Penn state come and offer uh TCU came and offered. I mean, these are all big time programs. He's a power five all, guy. I for think. sure. I, I think he's a power five guy all the way. And again, I think he's someone that, you know, could be, we needed the size, right? And we were talking about how we needed some, a, a big body, you know, we were looking for that 300 plus pounder. Maybe he's not quite that yet. Uh, but I think he's someone that's gonna, you know, I think he checks off a lot of those boxes of what they were kind of looking for on the interior after they brought in Branson Dean, after they brought in Thomas Gore with Leonard Taylor, with Jared Harrison Hunt, those guys kind of coming back. I think it's, I think Anthony Campbell is, is what they were looking for. Obviously they missed on some other guys, but I think ultimately they feel good about what they're getting in Campbell. Yeah. At the college level, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it than just length, but I do think, you know, look in general, a lot of interior college offensive linemen aren't very good are sawed off a little bit in some ways, whether it's wingspan or just height. And so when you have a guy like a Campbell who's six, seven with a very long wingspan, pretty good athleticism for that length, just that length alone, you know, where he can knock back the offensive lineman before the offensive lineman can even try and get his hands on him. There's something to that. And so, you know, I, I do think Campbell's a rotational player. I think he's still somewhat of a developmental player uh, at this stage, but again, I think if he sticks with the process and keeps improving, I think there's NFL potential there uh, in two years uh, once his 
eligibility at the college level is exhausted. So this is a nice little find. Um, you know, is it an elite defensive tackle land that Miami was hoping for? No, but I still think he's a nice addition that I think he's, he brings real value to the defensive tackle position group. Um, and they needed someone with size, as you were alluding to. This episode is also brought to you by Midway Sports, your one-stop shop for all of your sporting good needs, located just two miles south of the University of Miami. This locally owned small business has everything you would need to gear up for every sport. Their stocked up men's, women's, and kids selections has you and your family covered for all of your outdoor needs. Use promo code SMOKE15 for 15% off your online order at midwaysports.com. Are you a business owner or manager in need of seasonal or temporary staff? Let the folks at LT Pro Enterprises assist. The folks at LT Pro Enterprises can help you find laborers for your business in the state of Florida with an expanding footprint to other states as well. Reach out to Lionel Torres at TorresLionel1, the number one, at gmail.com. LT Pro Enterprises your source for all of your staffing and labor needs. Anyone else, Gabby, we're keeping an eye on here in the transfer portal. Um, there's some names that have popped on the radar, I guess. Is there anything, you know, Larry Nixon or Andre Sam, what can you yeah. provide about them? And is there anyone else that the fans should know about at this stage that you know of? Yeah, I, I think Larry Nixon is still a situation that Miami fans just be kind of paying attention to. Uh, he visited Miami first. Miami felt really good coming off of that visit. Then he visited Auburn, and Auburn felt really good coming off of that visit. And then he went to West Virginia, where one of his high school recruiter at North Texas, where he's the linebacker, where he's on staff or coaches there now. And now West Virginia feels really good about this situation too. So I think there's three staffs that kind of feel like they're really in, in this recruitment uh, for the North Texas linebacker. He was a first-team first all-conference selection there in the Conference USA. Uh, 105 tackles last fall. I mean, he's a six foot two, 236 pound kid. David, we talked about him on our previous shows. I mean, this is a guy that could come in, factor in at the will, push Wesley Besaint, potentially win a right. starting job there. Uh, he's a hot commodity in the transfer portal right now and has those three schools coming after him. Uh, I think we should know where he's going here in the next couple of days. Auburn, again, felt really good. Again, there's a lot of pro West Virginia buzz, but there's also some people that feel like Miami's in a really good spot too. So I feel like there's kind of a, a lot of tug and pull going on right now. Three schools who I think really impressed. I know coming out of that Miami visit, he, he kind of assured Miami that, you know, he really, really liked them and kind of maybe hinted that even they were on top, but I think he may have done the same thing again to Auburn. He may right. have done the same thing to West Virginia. So uh, this is a kid that was never really highly recruited. Uh, this is his first time being highly recruited. And uh, I think it's easy to get, you know, really into a lot of these visits. They're all great visits. These schools do an excellent job of putting on great visits. Uh, so I'm not sure which one, which way that one's going to go right now. Um, I think Miami's really in it. I mean, again, after that Auburn visit checked in and mine was just like, we're, we're going all in here. Like we really want to get this kid. We're going to keep recruiting okay. him. He, he's telling us all the right things. Uh, so again, I, I think Miami's still involved in this one, but I think that's probably one situation that we need to see where the chips kind of fall. And how about Andre Sam? So he, I don't know if we've talked about him much on the podcast, yeah. but he's a Marshall safety, uh, veteran guy, maybe a four-year guy at this point in college, started his career at McNeese state with Lance yeah. Gidry, I believe, and then played for Lance Gidry last year at Marshall. 
He transferred when Lance Gidry went to Tulane. So Lance Gidry was the Tulane defensive coordinator for what, two or three weeks maybe at Marshall. And uh, Andre Sam uh, transferred from Marshall to Tulane. And um, he's now back in the portal. And he's, you know, similar to like Larry Nixon, like if teams need a safety, there's not many available. So Andre Sam is kind of a hot commodity now in the portal. Does Miami have a chance there? Is it going to be tough because, you know, Tulane's probably unhappy that they lost Lance Guidry and now they might lose Andre Sam to Miami. Um, what's, what's your sense there? I, I think it's a lot of that, David. I think it's a lot of that where it's just kind of oh, maybe a little bit too much for their liking uh, between, you know, th- them getting Lance Guidry and Andre Sam kind of benefiting from that. And then kind of losing Lance Gidry and then Andre Sam kind of immediately being tied to Miami once he hit the portal. You know, the 24-7 sports transfer insider, Chris Hummer, you know, pretty quickly logged in a Miami forecast for Andre Sam. And look, I think Miami would be super interested in, in, in getting Andre Sam. But I do think that the situation, you know, becomes a little bit murkier when there's, you know, that much involved in terms of just like it's clear that you know, Lance Gidry and Andre Sam have this long lasting relationship and all those things. And now he wants to go play with them for my, at Miami. Um, you know, so I think, uh, you know, he might be, it might be easier for him to maybe just go through the process. Uh, I know LSU offered, I'm sure he's a, he's an, a Louisiana kid, uh, LSU offered. So I'm sure he's going to give them a really good look. Uh, I believe Ole Miss is another school that's involved. And, uh, I, I think Florida state may be kicking the tires as well, but, Look, I think once they're in the portal, it's fair game. I think Miami should definitely right. try to add him. I think Andre Sam coming in and, you know, being a third safety, someone that you can rotate in regularly, even when you have maybe some of those three safety looks and, you know, you have five DBs on the field. I think Andre Sam could be someone that can be used in a, in a number of different ways. And, hey, he, he was pretty productive at Marshall and is obviously, yeah. a, a, again, like you said, a hot commodity in the portal. So I think he's a power five player at this stage of his career. I think he's going to be a six-year guy okay. here in 2023 uh but again uh older he's played a ton of football experienced i think that's someone maybe he's not an nfl guy but he can help you win games on saturdays and i think that matters yeah 53 tackles five and a half tackles for loss at marshall one interception made the jump again from McNeese McNeese state and fcs level and produced at marshall and you know look this transfer portal era is is murky like you're saying but clearly andre sam has a relationship with Lance Guidry, that's tight. I don't know how you're supposed to like get around that if Miami wants Andre Sam and he's very close with Lance Guidry, clearly following him at three different stops. I don't even know if you can call that tampering. I don't know. So uh, it's it's interesting. We'll see. He's a, he's a guy to, to continue to follow and, and we'll see uh, if Miami makes a strong move there. Anyone else on your radar in terms of transfer portal at, at this stage? No, I mean, that's really it. Uh, You know, again, just like true portal wise, I think that's that's pretty much the gist of it. Okay, and let's wrap up the portal talk here. Just overall thoughts on Miami spring window. So to recap, Miami added Jaden Davis from Oklahoma, uh, cornerback, cornerback, Jadis Richard from Vanderbilt, uh, A.J. Allen, running back out of Nebraska, and then, of course, Tyler Harrell, as we referenced, and Anthony Campbell. We'll leave Shamar Kirk in that yeah. weird JUCO slash high school yeah. traditional category. recruiting category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but 
just Miami spring transfer window. Um, you know, so we're leaving out the guys that participated in the spring, which I think Miami landed a, a good crop of players there. Uh, but this spring window, Miami had some key positions to fill and they might not even be done, right? Guys that are in the portal now can still land at any school. Um, but the guys that they have right now, how would you grade it? Do you, do you like the work Miami's done in this spring window? Have they improved the roster? I think they, I, I definitely think they've improved the roster. Uh, I think we walked out of spring football feeling like they needed to go and add more to the cornerback room. Um, Jadeus Richard, I think was a great addition. Uh, you know, I think he's someone that can come in and compete. Jaden, Jaden Davis, another who's played a lot of football, you know, you add another veteran body in there. So, you know, do I feel just like, you know, top end talent? Do I feel great about the cornerback room? I don't know, but I feel better about just the overall depth that mine is going to kind of roll with on Saturday. It's, I loved that they went and got a running back, David. I know we, we've talked privately. Yeah. We've talked publicly. Like I really wanted Miami to go get a running back. And I think AJ Allen was a nice get for them. Uh, so I love that they went out and did that, um, you know, and then, you know, going out and getting the the body type that they wanted. I think that's a big deal. Getting Tyler Harrell, uh, just what he brings again, that elite speed. I think that's something, I think that's a trait they needed to add. So, I, I mean, I do think that Miami has improved the roster in this spring transfer window. And I think you have to look at it like what they lost versus what they're gaining. And, uh, you know, even with, you know, even in this spring, this spring window, what they lost uh, versus what they're adding, I think it's just a net positive, positive, positive. Yes. So, you know, I, I love what they've done. Was it exactly the way you wanted it to go? M- maybe not, but I think that they answered a lot of questions. And I think that, they, again, they, they addressed some needs. And uh, again, I think Larry Nixon, uh, you know, would be even a huge, uh, I think that would just take it to an, another level. I mean, and all that stuff. So, uh, I, I think, I mean, I'm happy with what they've done. And I think that they, I think they've made the team better in this spring transfer window, which is just, I mean, basically what you got to do. I agree. I think I would classify them more as like, and some of these guys are going to start, but more like depth type of additions mm-hmm. that are going to play a part in the rotation, raising the floor type of additions. I don't know if it's like elite ceiling raising type of players. Which of these players do you, would you do you think is your favorite of the spring transfer window edition? Which guy are you, are you most excited about here in 2023? Yeah, to me, honestly, it's it, I think it's Jadeus Richard. Uh, I don't know. Okay. I feel like I just I really like the body type. Um, just I feel like he's kind of like the prototype the prototype of a corner. You know, he's the six foot two plus, two hundred pounds or in that range. Uh, you know, has the verified speed, his track stuff. I love the basketball stuff. I think his athletic profile is really promising. I love that he has three years to play. I think as he got deeper into that that SEC season, I mean, at the end of the day, he contributed and he played pretty well in the SEC as a true freshman at a school yeah. that got beat a lot. You know, I mean, Vanderbilt wasn't winning many games and he was a bright spot for an SEC school as a true freshman. I think that's pretty telling. I think he's a really talented kid. And I think he's someone that, you know, he's going to come in. this. I'm really curious to see where he's kind of at by fall camp and where he kind of ends up kind of factoring in, because I do think he's someone that could potentially start or just really just be a re- like a, a series. You know, I think he play a lot. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about Jadias Richard. And again, just talking to people that have kind of been around him that have really coached him. It sounds like he's he's someone that they believe has a, a potential NFL future. So. I, and yeah. again, I thought the cornerback was probably one of the weakest spots. So if he's someone that could, if I've got a starter in Jedi and Jadeus Richard uh, or someone that could just end up being really, really good, I, I think that's a huge win. So I, I, he's probably the name that I would go with. 
I would agree. I would also say, and look, I, I agree with your sentiment earlier with Tyler Harrell in terms of let's keep our fingers crossed that he is healthy and, and good to go and all that stuff is in the past. But I like the idea and I like the potential yeah. of Tyler Harrell and what he can bring to the offense potentially. So we'll see if it all plays out. All right, let's talk about the high school visitors. We can run through this quick, um, as quick as we can. But um, Miami had a lot of big-time names on campus over the weekend at the high school recruiting level. And uh, so let's start with some of the headliners. I want to start, Gabby, with Ellis Robinson, the fourth uh, Georgia cornerback commit, number four overall player in the country, according to 24-7 Sports, prototypical corner. IMG Academy guy. Um, we've talked about how I think one of the pillars of every elite recruiting class, like when you look at Georgia, when you look at Alabama, when you look at Clemson, when you look at Ohio State, these teams that um, routinely sign top five-ish classes more years than not, they almost always have a top 50 cornerback committed in their class because there's only so many freaky six foot one corners that can get the job done at that high, high level. There's only so many of those human beings in every yeah. recruiting cycle. Ellis Robinson's that type of guy. Miami's in the mix there. It's not going to be easy to flip them, uh, but Miami's gotten them on campus a couple times here this calendar year. They're chipping away. He has his official visit set for June. What's the read on Ellis Robinson after he came down this past weekend? Yeah, he came with mom and dad. Uh, I think it was with mom's first time on campus. Again, kind of back with family again. I think his dad's been around a few times. Ellis Robinson's always liked Miami. You know, that's been my read on it. I mean, the first place that he camped at when, you know, the everything opened back up after that COVID year, first stop he made was at Miami. He camped at Miami. He wanted to kind of be around the program. You know, he was the best. He was probably one of the best defensive backs there as, you know, I think he was a freshman at the time, like going into his sophomore year. I mean, I feel like Miami's always kind of been one of those places that he's been extremely attracted to. He's been around campus a lot, even since then. Uh, again, even since he committed to Georgia, I think this is his second time on campus since committing to Georgia. Uh, he has that third, you know, that official visit set. So he'll be back another time. And I, my read is just kind of like what you said, David, I think it's still going to be really, really hard to flip him. I mean, if you're a cornerback, if you're a defensive player and Georgia wants you, uh, I think it's really kind of difficult to turn that situation down. And uh, just considering he's already given them, you know, his verbal pledge uh, to flip someone from Georgia like that. I think, again, I think that's definitely an uphill battle, but I think if anyone is in position to do it, it's Miami. I think that's yeah. the school that he probably likes second most. And uh, you know, you never want to, you don't want to, you don't want to finish second in recruitment, but you know, I think this is a situation that regardless of even Miami's read and how this plays out, I think that they should just recruit him to the end because we know in this transfer portal yep. era, anything is possible. You never really know how these situations play out. So I think Miami should continue to go all in, continue to do all these things, get him on campus as much as you can. And if he goes to Georgia, he goes to Georgia. You did what you got to do. That was probably, that's probably the most realistic route from where we're at right now. But I, if I'm Miami, I don't feel like it's wasting resources. Even if you do feel like he's going to Georgia, because you never really know, because Georgia is going to go in the 2025 class and they're going to sign the number one corner in that class too. Um, you know, so I think uh, I, I, I like what they're doing. I think they're in a really good spot, but I mean, I, my gut right now tells me that he's probably going to stick with Georgia, but again, loves Miami, respects these guys a lot. And 
I think, uh, you know, he's doing his due diligence with these guys. And, hey, let's see how the 2023 season goes. Maybe if they impress everyone, it, it gives them maybe more of a realistic chance to actually go and flip him. Let's stay at IMG Academy for another five-star uh, from that program. Defensive lineman David Stone, number seven overall player in the country, um, 6'4", 280-ish pound, athletic defensive tackle. Um, Gabby, we've talked about him a ton here on the podcast this calendar year. He's been on Miami's campus multiple times, returned on Saturday. I guess the main thing I want to ask you here with David Stone, what what's the sense you get with where Oklahoma stands in comparison to Miami? Yeah, I mean, I do think Oklahoma's kind of like, you know, the spot that he's been linked to most, right? Like, I think it's just like, Hey, I mean, he's from Oklahoma, you know, he lived, he's been on campus around Oklahoma a bunch, but I mean, just talk, talking with people who have, you know, been around, you know, David Stone and, and this recruitment, you know, on, on the Miami side of it, I, I don't think for the family, you know, just for them, like, I don't think they're already assuming, like they're assuming, oh, he's just going to go to Oklahoma because it's home. I mean, the kid, you know, he's already left Oklahoma. He's playing at IMG. I don't think that there's like a deeply rooted tie to the state of Oklahoma or to the university of Oklahoma. Uh, I think that's where he's always kind of again been linked to. I think early in his process, it, it kind of felt like a layup to Oklahoma. And maybe it still is like maybe Oklahoma is the team to beat, the team to watch. But I think he's genuinely like exploring his options. And I think behind he's a school he's really seriously considering. Like, I don't think they're just a school that he's like, hey, I'm coming and hanging out at Miami. Like, I think there's a lot of things to like about Miami. I think there's a lot of opportunity to be had. I think that, you know, the area that Miami's in, I think his family is you know, they're big fans of it. Uh, it's in Coral Gables. It's obviously not in the in the city of Miami. Uh, so I think that once his family got around Coral Gables and experienced what that area was like, uh, I think that that was kind of a game changer for them too. I think mom and dad, I think he kind of got the blessing from mom and dad to be like, hey, if this is where you want to go, this is a real, like, this is somewhere we feel comfortable kind of leaving you. Uh, so, you know, I, I think Oklahoma, yes. I mean, I think they're always going to be considered you know, the favorite, but again, I think people around Miami are not under the impression that he's a lock to Oklahoma or definitely going there or anything like that. So that's just my personal read uh, on that situation. Let's stay on the defensive line for another five-star guy that was visiting Miami this weekend, Dylan Stewart, number 13 overall player, according to 24 seven sports. He comes from friendship collegiate Academy in Washington, DC. Gabby, he visited Miami Earlier this year, during the spring, clearly Miami has some traction there with him returning to campus here this past weekend. What's the sense on him? Is, is his recruitment wide open? Is Miami a real player here? I know early on the vibes might have been Georgia. Is that still the yeah. case? How would yeah, you describe I, this? Yeah, no, I think Georgia is probably still maybe the school to watch, but I mean, I, I think it's I think it's notable that he's being intentional about getting back down to Miami. You know, like I think. You know, he, he's definitely a well-traveled recruit. He's been out at Oregon. He's been to Penn State. He's been to Georgia. He's been to Alabama, South Carolina, all these different schools. But Miami's, I mean, they've gotten him on campus twice now. I mean, I think that's pretty telling. Uh, you know, again, I think this is one of those recruitments that you kind of, you know, you're constantly chopping wood. You're in, you're in competition with all these great schools. But I think that's really the spot that you kind of have to, you know, that, that you kind of have to be okay with being in. Like, you have to give yourself a chance. I think Miami's given themselves an opportunity to get a chance. Steve Wiltfong, the director of recruiting, said that he expects Dylan Stewart uh, to officially visit Miami the second week of June. I mean, if that visit follows through, I mean, again, that's 
That's three visits to Miami, one of them being official in the summer. I mean, what, what more can you really ask for if you're Miami, right? Like if you're chasing one of the top edge rushers in the country and one of the most you know highly sought after recruits. So I think Miami's really, I think they're very much in the thick of this. I mean, do I think Miami's leading? Uh, I mean, probably not. But I think that he's, they're in this group of schools where it's just like, hey, man, you get to these summer official visits and, you know, you never really know what can happen, you know, over the course of these weekends. So uh, I think Miami's in as good of a spot as almost anybody, or at least I think they're in that group of schools that has a realistic chance to actually land a signature. How about Jalen Hayward? Uh, Safety, committed to Georgia, Rockledge High School here in the state of Florida on the East Coast. Top 100 player. We've talked about him a bunch. He returned. Is Miami making a move here? Definitely. I think Miami's definitely, definitely making a move here. Uh, you know, I think that this is, I think if Miami just kind of continues to chip away. Um, I, I think that they have a good chance to, you know, make moves in that recruitment. He is committed to Georgia also. Uh, he's kind of, you know, continuing to stay, say the right things. But I will say when I asked him on Saturday, like, you know, what's kind of like your status right now? Like, just how are you feeling about your just commit your recruitment process in general? All he said was no comment. And I think that that's pretty telling when he wasn't kind of doubling down on, hey, I'm committed to Georgia. You know, I I, I do like Miami. I'm just visiting right now. He was kind of like not really willing to talk about his just overall status. Uh, I know Miami went to go see him uh, on Tuesday for a practice or whatever they had going on at Rockledge just coming off that visit. Uh, I know he kind of had, you know, some some sit down conversations uh, with Miami uh, uh, secondary coach Jamal Adai. Uh, you know, I think them, those two have, you know, become really close. I know that's the coach he has the closest contact with at Miami. And, uh, you know, he's an extremely talented, uh, you know, def- like piece in the secondary. He's fast enough to play corner. I mean, he's like a 10, 600 meter kid. He's also skilled enough to play safety. So I think he's someone that you can do a lot of different things with. And I think that's one of the things that made him so attractive to Miami that he can come in here and be a potential difference maker with his versatility. And uh, I think Miami really, uh, again, would like to flip him from that Georgia commitment. Let's stay in the secondary. Another top 100 guy, Jalen Crawford, comes from Parkview High School in, in the state of Georgia. Number 93 overall, six foot 180. Maybe somewhat of a new name at, yeah. at corner here for Miami. A lot of LSU crystal balls. Um, but But where does Miami stand here as they're trying to get involved in this recruitment? Yeah, my read on this specific situation is that Miami, I mean, this is one of the visits that maybe went best of any of, you know, at least maybe in the secondary. Uh, you know, I think they felt really, really good about the way that Jalen, like what happened with Jalen Crawford while he was there. He was leaving kind of wanting to set up an official visit with them. Uh, so, I mean, I think that that's pretty telling too. I mean, again, you mentioned LSU, Auburn's probably in there. I think Florida's in there as well. He might take a couple SEC uh, official visits, but Miami's definitely one of the schools that he wants to come back and check out. And again, I think, uh, you know, Jamal Dye has done a really good job of, of getting Miami, kind of wedging Miami into that recruitment, getting him down to campus. Uh, and I think, again, he he's someone that, you know, just me eyeballing him looks the part. Uh, you know, again, he's a top 100 ranked recruit, plays in, you know, the highest classification in Georgia, is highly productive. I mean, I think you kind of roll, I think you bet on a lot of those Peach State kids and the way that they kind of play football up there. So, uh, you know, I think Jalen Crawford's a situation, a name really that I think Miami fans need to maybe familiarize themselves with a little bit more because I think he's someone that, you know, again, I think they have some momentum with now that he's been on campus. I want to touch on two more guys. Let's start with tight end Caleb Odom, 68 overall player in the country. Very, very athletic tight end, 6'5", 215. 
lot of juice to his game. He comes from the state of Georgia. He visited as well in the spring for, for spring football. Miami, is it fair to say he, well, he's one of Miami's top targets at tight end, and it seems like he's definitely high on the Hurricanes as well. Definitely. I mean, I I, I think I've been, I've been saying Miami wants to take, again, ideally wants to take two tight ends. They kind of want to take a flex guy. They want to take an inline guy. Uh, there's no doubt that Caleb Odom is the flex guy that they want to kind of take. I mean, he, he's he's the dude that they want to be the, like, you know, the primary pass catching tight end. If we're, you know, looking at like the, this past tight end class, they want Caleb Odom to be like the Riley Williams, you know, like that type of dude to fill in that type of role. Um, you know, and again, he got back to campus. This is his second unofficial visit to Miami. Uh, has an official visit set for that big June 23rd weekend. That's the final one of the summer. Uh, that was their most successful visit weekend uh, a year ago. Uh, so I think that it's that's the weekend you kind of want to get them down. Uh, Georgia is kind of like one of that school that's lingering. That's like if they decide to push, I think that's probably a situation uh, you know they're worried about. Uh, but then Alabama's in there as well. Penn State's in there. And then Ole Miss wants, is recruiting him as a wide receiver. I think that's a pretty attractive situation. For him as well. So those are a few of the other schools that I think maybe Miami's most uh, concerned about. Money can be the root of all evil when you don't understand it. A couple of bad decisions shouldn't continue to affect us years later, and the path to recovery shouldn't be as painful as the regret. Everyone at some point needs help with their financial situation, and Pride Financial can lend that helping hand. Pride Financial offers a patient and judgment-free environment and will provide you with the knowledge and power you need to realize your dreams. Once they identify your goals, they will guide you to the finish line, holding your hand every step of the way. Repairing and building credit is only the first step. They'll educate you on a variety of banking and financial institutions, what resources they offer, and how to maximize funding for your financial needs. Gain access to a vast network of realtors and licensed dealers to receive outstanding deals on prime real estate and the newest vehicles to fit your lifestyle. They even offer education and services to assist those more involved on the business side of things. Text 305-393-7698 or email globalchoice underscore consulting at yahoo.com to book a free consultation with Pride Financial, and let's take pride in our finances. How about Luane McCoy? He is from Miami Central. Yeah. Athlete, can play either wide receiver or corner at the college level. I think his future is best at corner, but he probably wants to play receiver, and he definitely could play receiver at the college level. Uh, committed to Florida State earlier this spring when he did so. It was kind of a surprise to Miami, I think it's fair to say. Uh, but clearly Miami's chipping away. He visited over the weekend as well. Yeah. I mean, again, this was a, I mean, they were super caught off guard and they were just like, almost like, no, like, like they're, they're almost like telling him like, no, you can't do that. Like, like you, you're giving us a chance. And I, I think that they're still continuing to talk to him, to recruit him. Uh, you know, again, I think it was nice that they got him back to campus, uh, you know, so he could visit with these guys. Uh, you know, I, again, I expect him to even still continue to give Miami a look. Uh, Florida State has four wide receivers committed right now. Uh, so, you know, it is kind of a big group. They're still recruiting wide receivers. Uh, so, and again, I think when he committed to Florida State, it, it, I think it came to a surprise to a lot of people, even the people around him, 
So, uh, you know, I do think that there's still some inroads in that recruitment where, you know, he might still be, you know, continue to look around, kind of explore all those options uh, despite that verbal commitment. And I think Miami is a school that absolutely wants him, David. You know, he's a great cornerback, man. I mean, we saw, we, I, I kind of always go back to that play he made against IMG Academy when we were there uh, that basically like sealed the game for those guys and that upset win. I, I mean, I think he would be an excellent cornerback, but I think Miami's at the point where they're just like, we just want the talent. We just want him on the team. And if he wants to play wide receiver, we're willing to let him play wide receiver. Um, and again, that's where they're recruiting him. And again, I think that they are just going to continue to chip away there and hope that they can eventually flip him. Is there anyone else? So those are the main main hitters that that visited over the weekend. Anyone else you want to highlight that maybe Miami made a move for here on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I think we should I, – I, we don't talk about, like, 2025s a lot, like the next class here, but I think there was – I mean, it, it was a really, really impressive group of 2025s. Basically, two of, like, the top, like – maybe two of the top five linebackers in that 2025 class were on campus. Uh, Jaden Perlot, who's uh, out of Buford, Georgia, committed to the Bulldogs – uh, he spent the weekend on campus. I mean, he's he's every, he's exactly what you want a linebacker to look like. Uh, I mean, he looks awesome, uh, and he really enjoyed his Miami visit. I think Derek Nicholson's done an excellent job of of catching Miami up at linebacker in terms of just the recruiting of just even looking forward to that 2025 class and beyond. Uh, so he was on campus. Uh, Nathaniel Owusu Boateng. He has an older brother who played at Notre Dame, who's I believe on the Cleveland Browns now, uh, who's who had a really good rookie year. Uh, he's just like a, an excellent looking linebacker, David. I'm excited for you to get eyes on him on Wednesday when we go to IMG spring game. I mean, he's just like a totally rocked up dude, like just absolutely like chiseled, um, probably around like that six foot one range. I think we have him as the number two linebacker in the country. Uh, he was on campus, I think for the second time. So, you know, I think making early inroads in that 2025 class. And then they had one of the, the best, uh, 2025 tight ends, Brock Scott, uh, he's out of the Indiana area. He, we have him ranked as the number 10 tight end in the class so far. But man, I mean, you kind of think about these 2025 kids and how they're still technically like sophomores in high school because the school year hasn't really finished up yet. And, I mean, and he just looks like he looks awesome. I think I heard him. I overheard him talking uh, to Coach Woodall, the, the tight ends coach, and he said he was like 4% body fat or something right now. So he's just a big, strong dude. And I think Miami feels like he's going to be uh, one of the best in that 2025 class. So I think uh, you know, that was a good, a good first visit, uh, you know, for even that rising junior class to start making those early inroads, which I think they, you know, they definitely want to do. We talked, we, I think we heard Mario Cristobal, one of his first press conferences say like, you know, you want to be basically a class ahead. I think they're doing a good right. job of finally starting to be able to create, you know, those or, or extend a little bit further where they can start, they can start getting, you know, some of those head starts on some of those younger kids, especially the ones that are going to be elite guys. Cause for some of these elite guys, if you're not in right now, you're almost kind of late to the party. So uh, right. I think that they're doing a great job with that. One thing, just one thing I'm noticing here during this section that we're talking high school recruiting, a lot of Georgia battles. And uh, I think yeah. that's a good thing, right? Georgia's by far the hot program right now in the country. They are the number one program, both on the field and in recruiting. And Miami's not shying away from those battles. And that's a good thing. That's what Miami needs to do. That's how you get big time recruits uh, by embracing those battles. So that is a good development during this Mario Cristobal era. Let's uh, let's take a break here and we will answer a handful of mailbag questions touching on various topics from the Inside the U subscribers. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back. Gabby, let's hop into it. Uh, mailbag questions from the inside the U.com community. First one is from Shirtless Sheriff, who asks, who will be the most impactful true freshman and most impactful transfer? Who will be the Canes comeback player of the year? I'll let you answer first. Do you want me to go through all three or you want me to, you want to go one at a time? Let's go one at a time. True freshman. I'm going to go, I mean, I'm kind of going to take the layup here. I'm going to go with Francis Malagoa just yeah. because I think he's, he's a, the freshman that we know is going to start. Uh, he's going to hold down that right tackle spot. Um, you know, looking really big these days. Uh, I mean, he's, I mean, he, he's the number one. Freak yeah, yeah, freak. I mean, future NFL offensive tackle. Um, I don't think he's ever going to look back after taking that first, after taking over as a first team right tackle. Um, I think he's probably going to hold down that spot for the next three years before he's, Selected pretty high in the NFL draft, uh, if assuming things go uh, well. But he's on a really good trajectory right now, and uh, you know, I to me, I think he's gonna be a huge, huge help to this offensive line in year one. He's definitely the guy. I agree. A um, couple other guys I would mention too. You know, Ruben Bain. After the strong spring he had, I think he's gonna be. He's gonna have a role. Um, likely won't be a starter just because that's hard to do, and and they do have pretty good uh, starting caliber players there ahead of him right now that are older. Uh, but he's a guy that I think will have an impact in some form and a guy that hasn't arrived yet officially or is set to arrive here soon. I would bring Mark Fletcher to the conversation, the running back. I'm just a big believer in Mark. Uh, mature guy, mentality wise, seems like a guy that gets it. Um, and he's just a talented guy physically with his, Bigger frame, uh, violent runner, has the vision. Uh, I'm a big Mark Fletcher fan. I think he can carve out a role for himself, whether that's as a short yardage guy and it grows from there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised over the last month of the season if he is a major factor in the running back rotation. Uh, yeah, I, think, I think both those are really good options. How about transfer? Who Who would you bring to the discussion there? Yeah, I'm going to go defense and same bloodline, bloodlines, man. I'm going to go Francisco Mauigoa just because I think, uh, you know, that linebacker, I think what he can do at linebacker could potentially be, you know, I, I think it could be, I think he could probably be the biggest difference maker uh, among the newcomers, potentially on the defense in general, just because I don't think Miami's had linebacker play um, that, you know, to, to that level, at least, you know, from what we saw over the course of spring and in that spring game. Um, I think that Francisco Malagoa is going to be uh, a huge, huge impact on that defense. And uh, again, I think he looks the way you want it, you want it to look. Uh, so I, I'm rolling with the Malagoas, the Malagoa brothers, yeah. man. It just, I think those are safe bloodlines to bet on. 
yeah, he sh- I think there's no doubt he should be the uh, best middle linebacker Miami's had since Shaq Quarterman, which isn't saying much, I guess, uh, but it is a big improvement from what they've had here in recent years. I- I'm with you there. I would bring Matt Lee to the discussion. I think, you know, not only is he a talented center, um, I think his leadership and his mentality, uh, I think that's going to be important for Miami when, when, when adversity strikes at some point, cause it, it always will in football, in any sport, adversity is going to strike at some point during a season. Matt Lee's the type of leader that's going to help Miami navigate those tough times. So I think he's a tremendous addition. Um, not only as a player, the talent he brings, um, he's an upgrade there at that center spot, but also his leadership, I think is going to be valuable. Uh, come comeback player. Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like this was to me was kind of I don't know. Maybe it's cheating a little bit, but I'm rural Tyler Van Dyke. You know, I think that this is okay. an opportunity like for it. him to. I think that you know he obviously I think he struggled even when he was kind of healthy in 2021. And I think really the the supporting cast wasn't what it was. I think it made things a little bit more difficult. Obviously, the production dipped down significantly from 2021. And I think that Miami's put more pieces around him to put him in successful situations. And I think that that's going to elevate his game back to, you know, what we kind of saw. I'm not saying he's going to be exactly that. Maybe he can be, but, you know, we talk about Matt Lee. We talk about Francis Malagoa. Like, those are two guys that are going to help Tyler Van Dyke be better. I mean, what else they did on the offensive line with with JV and Cohen, you know, even adding a running back, you know, adding some receivers, adding some more, adding even like Cam McCormick who could block for him as, as a tight end and and all that stuff. I think you really, the, I just think everything around Tyler Van Dyke is going to be better. I think Shannon Dawson is going to make Tyler Van Dyke better. Uh, so I'm going to go with Tyler Van Dyke as Miami's comeback player of the year. Maybe that's kind of low-hanging fruit or maybe no, again, it's I like it. Another name I would just kind of, again, just kind of add there. Another one I wrote down was Elijah Arroyo. And that's because I think I'm just getting really positive feedback on him. And I think that he's someone that could, you know, Will Mallory's gone. I think that he can kind of be the go-to tight end target, you know, once he, you know, he's getting healthy. And I think, again, people around the program think that he's going to, he's going to have a really big year. So I think Elijah Arroyo is another one I would probably bring to that. I like those. My guy that I'll bring to the conversation, you know, I don't necessarily know. I I don't expect him to have like some big time ultra productive season, but just come back from the standpoint of what he's been through the last two years to getting back on the field, I think is a nice accomplishment. And I'll go Don Chaney, you know, yeah. coming back from a ACL injury, then dealing with the hip injury last year, just unfortunate bad luck. He is a talented guy, got through the spring, which I think was a nice step forward for him. Um, and, you know, I think he'll have some sort of role this year. And if he goes out and runs for 300 to 400 yards, scores a handful of touchdowns, I think that's a nice step forward and a good story in terms of making a comeback from, you know, some tough adversity in terms of bad luck from the injury front. All right, next question comes from St. Louis Canes, who asks, what couple things need to go right for Miami to win 10 games? I I mean, that's a (laughs) to win 10 games. I don't I think it's more than a couple things that need to I think it's a lot. I mean, I wrote down I wrote down a number of things. I mean, one I put first of all, they need to just stay completely and totally healthy. Like I think everyone that contributes or plays has to be at full strength all year. 
Um, I think the offense, I think Shannon Dawson's offense would have to just completely flourish. I mean, it would have to be a plan coming completely together of, you know, the explosives, uh, you know, Tyler Harrell being fully healthy and being something close to that 29.1 yards per catch type of guy where you have a clear vertical threat. I think an easy way to say it with the offense, I think they need to get back to, so like the Rhett Lashley year. Yeah. They averaged about 34 points per game, right? And they got to be close to that. And how realistic is that? Right. I mean, that's a big jump because last year is what 23 points per game. So, you know, I think it's improbable to take that type of jump year over year, but I don't think it's impossible speaking to all the stuff you were running through. If they hit on all those things, have some good injury luck, you know, the offensive line is going to be improved. You know, the explosive elements at receiver hit, they have a running back emerge, you know, again, these are more than just a couple things that need to happen. You know, the, the over and that's under, just on offense. We're just talking right. about offense right now. Right. But it's a big leap is the yeah. point. So I think you got to get to that 34 point ish area, which, you know, isn't like 34 points is probably puts you in that, like, I don't know, top 25 ish range in the country of points per game. So it's good, but it's not like elite elite. I don't think it's out of the question. I think that type of leap, again, isn't probable, but it is possible. Um, I think that's what it's going to take. Again, to put this you know, whole question into context, Las Vegas betting lines uh, for the preseason, right? For uh, over under regular season win totals, Miami is set at seven and a half. So, you know, it's not like they're at eight and a half or nine and a half. Yeah. It's seven and a half which means probably their models, which are going to be spot on um, view Miami as a seven or eight win team, which I think is fair. And I think we've kind of maintained here before those numbers came out that we view this as a seven or eight win team. Um, So anyways, defensively to me, Gabby, I think there's like, if we're just going to boil this down to a couple things, I think, number one, the star potential players need to play like it on defense. So that means Leonard Taylor, Akeem Mesidor, Nigelie Kelly, Cam Kitchens, James Williams, maybe Francisco Maui Goa, you put in that too. Like your guys that have star potential need to play up to that potential. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because again, guys like, you know, really like Leonard Taylor, James Williams, we see the flashes but we just got to see it more consistently moving forward. Uh, so that's the first thing. Second thing to me, the cornerback group has to be solid. Uh, they've added four guys, four corner transfers. You got to hit on the, on two of those guys, at least. And I think year over year, the talent might be down the individual talent at the starting level for the cornerback group, but I still think they can do a better job of playing on the same page together and be an improved group slightly. So those would be the two things on defense I would bring. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think that's fair. I mean, I think it would have to be just way more. I mean, I think just overall defense would just have to be like significantly improved with, you know, Lance Gidry in his first year. I mean, I think really it would have to take guys even overperforming, like even like Wesley Besaint, someone like him, like maybe if he's starting, they don't go out and get this Larry Nixon kid like him, even, maybe coming around and being, yeah, he's someone that steps up and really elevates in his second year. And, you know, you, you hope someone else emerges, like, you know, maybe not a Nigel E. Kelly, you know, really becomes like a force as a pass rusher 
Uh, James Williams takes a big next step. Cameron Kitchens plays a full season, like, an, like you know, really like a, a first-team All-American. Not saying, like, right. you know, he, his highs were so high. I mean, he was great when he was great. But, you know, a, a full entire season of that level of Cameron Kitchens. It, it would take a lot. It would take yeah. a lot on the defensive side. We're talking, also- about, we're talking about doubling the win total, right? Yeah. If we're talking 10 wins. I mean, they went 5-7 and seven last year. Yeah. And a lot of those sevens were blowouts. So again, I think it's, I think that's maybe the ceiling, ceiling, ceiling if every single thing right. goes right. But I personally am not going into this season expecting 10 wins, you know, in the regular season, you know. I think, so I think if you're winning 10 games, you're also basically saying you're splitting Texas AM and Clemson. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Yeah. Like, I think. I mean, I don't know. I think you have to beat Texas A&M. Yeah. In week two. I yeah. think you have to beat Texas A&M, and then you go into your ACC schedule. What four and zero? You go Hopefully. into you go into right. You go into, <laughs> you go into North Carolina five and zero. Hopefully, yeah. and then from there, right? It's just about can you handle the Power Five schedule week after week after week yeah. that comes out, which is UNC, Clemson, NC State, Florida State, Louisville. Yeah. Like the playing those games, you know, somewhat they're not all back to back to back, but a lot of those games are back to back to back. That's tough in college football. That's where depth becomes important. Um, So I think I wrote this down. I think you got to beat Texas A&M in week two, Uh, go five and oh. And then from there, you just got to handle your business in ACC play. And those games, I think, you know, they're going to be tough. UNC, Clemson, and at NC State, at yeah. Florida State, Louisville. So you're playing the best team in the coastal. Like, let's say we're, it's obviously not divisional anymore, but you're playing the best ACC coastal team, which I think is is North Carolina. And then you're basically running through like an ACC Atlantic schedule. Like, you're going through, you have to go through Florida yeah. State, through Clemson. You have to go to NC State. I mean, you got to play Louisville. You got to go to Boston College. Like, you know, you're basically, and that's been traditionally, I feel like the tougher side of the ACC, yep. I think. Um, so, uh, again, I mean, I, I, there's a lot that would have to go right to your point to, to get through to this. If you look at just the ACC over under win totals, just like, and you rank them like highest to lowest, Miami's fifth, and they play all four of the teams that rank ahead of them, who are Clemson, uh, Florida State, North Carolina, and Louisville. Somehow, I mean, I don't know. I got to dig into Louisville's roster, I guess, but they. They are expected to be pretty good this year, even though they have a new coach and and Jeff Brom who's good. Um, But that first year factor to me is tough um, to project any team. Um, And they have a lot of transfers. So it's just like a totally new team. I get it. But uh, a lot of people feel like Louisville is going to be better slash right on the same level as Miami. So um, we'll see. 10 wins is tough. Again, I don't think it's impossible, but I think it's improbable. The Star Horton Group is a real estate company that covers all of Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Born and raised in Miami, Star is committed to growing his clients' wealth and securing their futures. One of the top realtors in the state, Star knows the ins and outs of the market to make sure his clients get the best possible value when they sell or buy. If you're looking to buy or sell or know someone who is, call or text STAR directly at 561-573-4661. And here's the beauty. 
when you refer someone to star, he will donate $250 to the Miami hurricanes athletic fund in your name upon the closing of the deal. So to have a great real estate experience and help our canes call or text star today at 561-573-4661. Jeff Friedman, 0281 asks of these three things, one NIL two winning games or three relationships, would you consider to be the most effective recruiting tool? Yeah. I, I, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I mean, I think this is just like my honest, like, and let's be honest. Yeah. I think, I, I think, and I, I mean, I think NIL, is NIL opens the doors. Yes. I think it's number one. Yeah. I think it's number one. NIL gets you in the ball game. Would yeah. you disagree on that? I mean, I think for I, the elite, I, for the elite, I, I think if you're, I think if you're not, an elite program. I think right. if, you're, if, if we're looking at this from the scope of Miami, yes. NIL is the most important thing. I think if you're a program that's already like, if you're Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, I think it's winning. Uh, NIL. I would you know still push back. Uh, yeah, I still think, I think now everyone has to play NIL. I think yes, they do. You have to. I think it's more important for, I think for like a school like Miami where you just won five games or you're even trying to hold it together after five games. I think NIL by far, like, I think it's just, I think yes. it's so clearly. Number I agree one. with that. Yeah, but I feel like, George, like Georgia's, Georgia's going to get what they want. And maybe that's an unfair example because they're probably the exception to the rule. But I still feel like if you are a program that wins, like imagine if you're a school that's going to win back-to-back national championships, you have to have the NIL. But I feel like you're not going to. But did they like, win? Like, to me, this is the interesting conversation of chicken or egg, right? Yeah. How did they start winning? How did they start winning? That's fair. How yeah, did they get? How did, how did they get those players? Yeah, I didn't think about it from that. I didn't think about it. No, from it's that it's it's a tough. It's just a cycle of like what matters most, and that's yeah. why it's a good question because I I also think relationships. I, the, well, the way I view re- the relationship phrasing of it is just like recruiting effort. Like who's going to yeah. outwork people? Yeah. And so, like, if I'm honestly, Gabby, for this question, I put it into two different categories. I said high school and transfers, because I think it's two different types of recruiting. Yeah. Um, I put NIL number one for both, but uh, I put relationships second for high school, just because uh-huh. I don't know if a lot of staffs really are about that life with high school recruiting, the grind of it, the up and down of it. I mean, it's. It's not fun. Uh, Not everyone's a psycho in a good way, like Mario Cristobal and loves that, you know? And then winning does matter to some extent. Um, But I do think in some ways winning is used as a front in terms of just like, it's it's an easy excuse of like, oh, we didn't get this guy because they win more, which I think there's some truth to that. But I do think NIL and just outworking people can also land your fair share of guys as well. Yeah. No, and I think that's, and I think you see, I think Miami's a good example of that, where a part of Miami's recruiting success last year, yes, I mean, we can obviously, I can, NIL's for, NIL was probably the reason most behind it. But I mean, dude, these people work like crazy. I mean, Absolutely. These, guys just, these guys just had a random like May weekend crazy. that was just like, this staff is crazy. No, and it's great. And, and In you a good start way. To, yeah, no, and it's just like it, it's just how it, it's just how it's done. Like, I don't think yeah. that this is the only big weekend that they're just randomly whipping together. Like, there's nothing going on. There's no spring football. There's literally no reason for Miami to like these coaches are on the road most of the time. Like these during these weeks, and these guys just had like an insanely huge official, not official visit weekend, but just a crazy huge weekend pool party at Mario Cristobal's house. Like all that stuff. Like, 
Like that is the, the relationship part of it where these guys are just going to do more than other right. staffs are going to do. Like, and I think that's one way we, I think that we matters that. in high yeah, school. It, do, it does. And it matters. I think with even like the families too, like the parents yes. and stuff like that, like with the kids, I think ki- the kids are always going to kind of be like, Oh, whatever, whatever. But I think with the families and stuff like that, when yeah. you kind of go this extra mile, I think it helps those people like, you know, people in the camp or people that are just around the kids feel better about a school and just feel more comfortable with their kids going to that one place where some of the other things, all right, NIL is obviously going to matter, but even if you don't win or like, let's say it doesn't go perfectly, like, I think they're still going to be like, hey, you know what? These guys really, really want this. Like, we've seen how much they care, how much time they're investing in the things that we're, they're doing to try to get this right, where you could still maybe justify, like, maybe not winning as much. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I guess NIL is is the main thing. Um, you know, I would I say definitely for transfer portal, it's, I think it's the only thing well, pretty much. Uh... I agree. Well, yeah, I have NIL number one for transfer. Yeah. And I do think year over year that is like amplified, like NIL money, the big money now goes to transfers, which kind of makes sense, I think. Um, But I would put winning number two for transfers because, and this goes to NIL as well. Transfers to me, those decisions are business decisions and it's, it's a quick recruitment. So like the relationships kind of matter. But really, it's about, okay, what's my NIL? And how do I fit on your roster? And how good is your team? And so that's why I think Miami has struggled a little bit. Not struggled. That's extreme. Hasn't necessarily landed the elite of the elite transfers, particularly in this spring window, because they went five and seven last year. And so it's hard to like convince a big-time elite transfer to be like, hey, trust the process. Come on board help us get to winning eight or nine games. You know, I think that makes it tough to land transfers. Yeah. And, and I will say this as well, like winning does matter. Don't get me wrong. Like all three of these things matter significantly. And I do think there's a sliding scale for winning in terms of like, if you're not showing signs of winning by like year three or year four, you're cooked, you're done. Yeah. And that's why a lot of schools move on after year four of no results, no success, because then recruits transfers don't believe in you and you're not going to land any difference makers. And again, it's a chicken and the egg type of situation. So uh, interesting question. Last thing or not last thing, a couple more. Um, Stavello Kane asked over under three, five stars. I think that's good. I mean, th- I mean, this is kind of like the way that I was trying to to scope it. Like if you're asking over under three, five stars, you're basically asking, can Miami I get I think three? it's going to be three. I think it is. I mean, I think it can be. I mean, look, so the, if the, you're picking right. over under for three, I got to go two just because I have a hard time seeing four. Yeah. But I would pick three. Yeah. So look, the, I feel like these are, these, this is a group of five stars. Again, current five stars. I counted 15. You counted 15. All right. Let me see what I got. I got, I got Jeremiah Smith. Go All right. I mean, Jeremiah, you know, we'll see. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, th- no, but I feel, I feel like he's fair to count. Jeremiah Smith, Ellis Robinson, uh-huh. Ryan Wingo, David Stone. Okay. Elijah Rushing, uh, Dylan Stewart, Colin yep. Simmons, Brandon yep. Baker, Mylon Graham just visited. Yep. Aiden Brelian. Yep. Camarion Robinson. And then the composite has Justin Scott, JoJo okay. Trader, Jarrett Gibson, TJ Capers is one. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if Miami's that. We'll see with that one. But yeah. there's 15 guys. And again, I've said this in previous podcasts. Recruiting in a lot of ways is a numbers game. You throw numbers at it, you you go and 
throw everything you got at 15 five stars, which is a ton. Of course, they're not going to hit. They're not going to hit 50% of those. They're not going to hit 30% of those. But, yeah. you know, whatever the numbers end up being, you can land three of those 15, I think is fair to expect. Who will they be? We don't know. That's harder to predict, but it's a numbers game. It is. I think projecting four, like let's say if we're going over over under three or whatever. I don't know if you want to go two and a half, three and a half. Like, I mean, four four or five stars is a is a really. I think it's hard. Wins hard. If Miami wins, if Miami wins, I could see it. You know, I could see them getting some of these guys. I mean, we're and I mean maybe I was I wasn't looking at the composite, so I didn't factor in like Justin Scott. But like I could see Justin Scott working out. Like I could see Josiah Trader working out. And can they win one of these random ones where they can get a, a David Stone or? A Brandon Baker, Kamari and Franklin, Aiden Breland, Ellis Robinson, Dylan Stewart. Like, who knows? Like, I feel like that's, I feel like that's, I feel like those names are all in play. Like, I feel like if one of those guys ended up at Miami, like, I'm not going to be like totally stunned about it. Right. Like, I feel like it was the same way we were talking about like Samson Akinola and Francis Malagoa a year ago. Like, right now, I wouldn't have felt comfortable saying Francis Malagoa was going to be a, a hurricane, you know, again, right. this time last year. So, I mean, these things happen and, and they really, I think it happens in June. It happens during these summers yeah. of OVs. So I think right now, like, I guess you have to kind of be on the conservative side side and go say, yeah, maybe they'll get two of them. But man, I mean, I, if it gets to three or four, like, I'm not going to be like, oh my goodness. I, they man, were just like, so for last cycle, right. They were a weird Cormani McLean recruitment away from yeah. having three. Right. Yeah. So they essentially had it. It was just weird at the end, you know? Yeah, exactly. Dion got hired at Colorado and he went to Colorado. Um, Ray Kane 13 asks, is Mario Cristobal on pace to be able to compete against the top tier programs? If so, by when? What's the timeline? So to me, the biggest indicator of future success in college football is recruiting. And if we're judging this first full recruiting class by Miami, it's a resounding success. Top 10 class, best class in the ACC for the first time since, you know, of this 24-7 sports era, which is the 2011 cycle. So from 2011 cycle, to the 2022 cycle in the ACC, either Florida State, which was the early, you know, those Jimbo Fisher years, and most recently Clemson was dominating the recruiting landscape uh, in the ACC. This is the first year Miami broke through and won it of this 24-7 sports era. Um, But you got to do that three or four times in a row. That's what Florida State did. That's what Clemson did. Um, And you look at the, you know, what, Mario did at Oregon. And again, this isn't a perfect apples to apples comparison, Oregon to Miami in terms of programs and trajectories and what was inherited and, you know, where the programs were at when Mario took them over. But in in Mario's first year at Oregon, the Ducks went nine and four, 2018. Second year, they jumped to 12 and two. That three-win jump to me is pretty significant year-over-year improvement. And I think where you see that most is from their Pac-12 record. So 2018, their Pac-12 record went from five and four to eight and one the next year, year over year. They won the conference, won the Rose Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. You look at FIU, uh, again, he inherited he took over a dumpster fire at FIU. Uh, they went one and eleven in his first year. Uh, they jumped to five and seven in year two, which is a massive jump. Um, so those are two big jumps in year two. Am I going to predict a massive jump this year? To me, the, the biggest thing 
is to have good enough on-field results this year to continue the high level of talent acquisition that we saw in this 2023 class. So to me, I think if you can go at least eight and four this year, I think that's good enough to deliver a top 10 recruiting class. You can sell improvement. You can sell development. You can sell, hey, we're on this trajectory of improving. We're close. Um, and then to me in year three, it's time to go win 10 games. You go do that. Then it's time to build on that 10 win season, push for a, a spot in the college football playoff. Would you push back on that? No, I mean, I think that's, I think that's super well said. I mean, I think that they're on, they're on the right track right now. And I think now the next step is it's getting it done on the field. And again, it's not winning the ACC. It's not doing anything like that. It's just showing that improvement on the field where you can say, Hey, look, like we're, we're, we're going to where we're telling you we're going like you did this in year one. We're doing this in year two. These are the types of players we're bringing in. Like, you know, you, you, you can get on board now or you're going to, you know, again, I, I think that's just the, the way that they're doing it. They're on pace to, you know, they're, they're on, I feel like they're on the right track to becoming what they eventually want to become. And obviously it's the early stages right now, but again, I think I feel comfortable about where the, where the program is heading uh, right now is again, just via the, you know, just talking about the high school recruiting and, you know, seeing the way that that's going. And again, the way they're continuing to get these elite dudes on campus and getting them back on campus. And then right. OVs again, I, I think they're doing everything the right way. Um, it's just about the on-field product now. Like you have to show that improvement on the field because if you don't, you're not going to get to where you want to be. Cause I don't think they'll be able to replicate a season like last season and maintain this. So as long as they start showing the improvement, on Saturdays, I think that, you know, they're on, they're on the right track right now. Last question. And we'll get that here. Caner for life asks a hot topic right now. What's the status of the quote unquote magnificent seven ACC schools poking around the grant of rights. Is it true an eight school would be needed in order to break free of the ACC TV deal and look for another conference. Any light you can shed would be great. So conference realignments, a uh, big talking point right now, the ACC, uh, off-season meetings are going on right now. So all these ADs are meeting um, here in the state of Florida here. Uh, and this is a big topic of conversation because the revenue of the ACC with their TV deal pales in comparison to what the SEC and to what the Big Ten is going to be. And also the Big 12, I think, is going to have a better TV deal here as well. Um, so look, just poking around, talking to people. I do think... This is just moving the conversation forward. Um, you know, I do think it's fair to say the ACC is going to die. When that will happen, I think, is the big question. And for me, I can't put a timeline on that. I think there's a lot of things going on that make it tough to predict the timeline. Some people I talk to think it could be the summer. Some people I talk to think it's going to be hard to figure out the grant of rights issue. Um, you know, before two or three or four years, um, because the ACE, you know, this could get litigious $120 million, um, you know, is kind of what it would take to maybe break the grant of rights issue, uh, per school. Uh, but yes, it has been reported this week. There are seven schools. Now it's been reported that there's eight, which includes Louisville. Um, so it's Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, Miami, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Clemson. 
are all kind of banded together, which gives you a majority amount of schools. And if the thinking is, if those eight schools break away from what, a 14-team conference, I believe, then how does that conference, I guess, um, enforce a grant of rights, which again, I think that takes lawyers to figure out, et cetera. Um, and, you know, look, I think Big Ten, SEC, and one thing that's really helping, I think, accelerate this process is I think the Big 12 is now a factor in adding schools. They're welcoming the idea of adding some ACC schools, which helps in terms of landing spots and giving these schools that want to break away that the amount of numbers is that is needed to get out of the ACC without paying a big exit fee, et cetera. So to me, this is kind of, this is, um, you know, this is a discussion of two different things. So in the immediate future, I think the teams at the top are trying to squeeze out as much money as possible via maybe an uneven revenue sharing situation, uh, you know, somehow, is that possible? I don't think so, but I think they got to try and bring that to the table. And then when the ACC says, yeah, we're not going to do that, then that just kind of, they can point to that and be like, hey, we tried to make this work and you wouldn't give us more money, even though we're worth it, et cetera. We're out of here. But in the long term, you know, I do think the ACC is going to die. It's just a matter of when um, they can figure out the easiest path to get out of the grant of rights. And so, um, I don't know. I feel like in five, within five years, I don't think an ACC will exist. Gabby, we'll get out of here on this. If you had your pick between Big Ten, SEC, Big 12, and let's say, like, honestly, the, the impression I get from Miami is all they care about is just raising their revenue. So I don't, I don't even know if they would care about which conference they would land in. They just want the most money they can get to sustain themselves in this modern era, um, which I think is the right approach. But let's say the money's equal between those three conferences. Um, do you have a preference on where Miami might be able to land? I'm, I'm kind of a fan of the Big Ten. I mean, I think it's a good fit, just kind of considering, I mean, Miami, I feel like to compete with some of those SEC schools, like fan base-wise, all that stuff is also kind of tough. Like Miami's a small private school. I think the Big Ten is just more of a fit, like from a university standpoint, where, you know, there are other schools, I feel like similar to Miami, at least like, you know, I think just like, again, like, like educationally, I guess, if that's the right way to say it, I'm not even sure. Yeah. But there's like, also just, like bigger markets in the Big Ten. Like you yeah. got Chicago, Rutgers, Northwestern, Chicago, yeah, Minneapolis. Yeah, you got. I, I mean, Columbus is. Columbus I feel like is even, a big city. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I feel like even Lansing is like kind of a big city in Michigan, kind of. Yeah. So, I I I would probably agree. To me, honestly, all I care about is just like Miami having enough revenue yeah. to be self-sustained. So. I'm not maybe as passionate about the landing spot other than just like get the money. That's all I kind of care about, but the big 10 would be fun. I'd be I, for it. Big 10 has us. I mean, I, I guess we'd start. That's I mean, true. You have, USC. USC yeah. Like you have USC and UCLA, like you have the LA, you, you'd have yeah. LA, you'd have Miami and you'd have Chicago. In be great. The big t- in, in, and in New the York. Big 10. I mean, not that New York really cares yeah. about college sports. Yeah. But yeah. It's a big no, but it's, Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, I think those are, those are the, yeah. I mean, I feel like if you're, if you're the big 10, I think you have to like the sound of that. You already have Chicago, you already have LA. I mean, I think to get Miami, I think would be a, a, a big hit. So 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would like the Big Ten. And I, I think there's, there's a lot of like high academic schools in, in the Big Ten, too. Again, Northwestern's a great school. I think, I mean, Ohio State's also a great school. Michigan's a great school. I also kind of love the idea of potentially watching Miami play Michigan in like the big house or something like that, or yeah. like going to the horseshoe and watching Miami play Ohio State. Like Penn State. I mean, you got Penn fun. State in there. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of fun schools. USC. And yeah. You got, you got, I think that keeps that West Coast pipeline open where, you yeah. know, my, Mario Cristobal wants to recruit out there and you can say, hey, like, you know, basically. If you line up something with USC like that, like, you know, maybe every other year you you go play in L.A. or you all at least play one game, potentially two games, depending on the year that you come in, you know, in your home state. I mean, I think that that would be a big win for Miami to be able to tell a kid like, yeah, you're coming to Miami, but you'll be able to go back home and play out there. So it'll be interesting. Um, again, like Miami doesn't to me, at least Miami doesn't have like ties to the ACC. So like where they land next, I mean, Miami's kind of. Like they were independent for a long time, then they were in the Big East, now they're in the ACC. They're kind of just like a nomad program. So like, I'm not super passionate about where they would land. But yeah, it would be fun to be in the Big Ten. Um, just get the money so you can be self-sustained and uh, compete at the highest level. So we'll get out of here on that. Appreciate Gabby, that was a long one. We're trying to bring longer podcasts since we are not doing them as frequently Appreciate all our sponsors, of course. Uh, you guys mean the world to us. And appreciate all our listeners. And until next time, take care. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.